0: If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, we are going to be in John chapter one, John chapter one. I've got a picture coming up here. Uh, Let's do a little geography lesson to start off with this morning. These are the Great Lakes and they're really for North America. They're really kind of like this phenomenon, Uh, especially when we get the first British settlers here. Uh, They come in and they they camp and they make their, their first colonies on the very edge of the water. And all through American history, Americans have just moved westward. I don't know what's wrong with once I once had a student that said, we're always going left because on a map, we're always moving left. And so as we continued to move inland, we kept finding these lakes. And the first time they ran up on a great lake, can you imagine how amazed they were wandering through the wilderness of New America? And then suddenly there's like this huge freshwater lake out in front of them. Like, like what? where did this come from? This is unexpected. Have we made it to the ocean already? And they came up on that first lake and they called that the Lake of Shining Waters. That translates Ontario. They call it Lake Ontario. And they think, they've seen something amazing but it's only until they go a little farther west and they hit the second lake like erie which is native american for the long tail they keep going on they go through the other lakes until they get to the last lake and here's what they realize they've seen four lakes each one better than the next and they get to the last lake and go whoa this one this one blows them all out of the water this one's bigger than all the other ones. It's greater than all of the other ones. It has more to offer than all the others. It's just, it's simply amazing. Nothing can compare to this. There is nothing better than this one. And so they, they named it Lake Superior because it is superior to all of the other lakes. And I think in life, kind of like America always moved west, I think we move through life like that. Like, like we, we find the next greatest thing in our life. Like I love watching, after having my daughter, I love watching children explore for the world. They get their first taste of a new food, and they're like, oh, that was good. And then they they, they mobilize. They learn how to crawl, and the world opens up to them. And so they see more things. And they learn how to walk, and they're so excited to walk. And, And then as we as humans grow, we become teenagers, and we fall in love for the first time. And then we become adults, and we get married, and then we have kids. Like all through life, we're always finding one thing. Like this is greater than what I've already experienced. But, you know, it is not until, it is not until that we come and we find Jesus that we have found the most superior thing this world has to offer. All right, there you go. You guys are, there's gonna be a lot of amens in this sermon series, so you guys just get ready for it, okay? So I'm gonna say that again. Let's see if we can do it right. It is not until we find Jesus that we have found the most superior thing that this world has to offer. All right, there we go. Oh, it's gonna be good. I love it. So it's not until we find him that we have found what is superior to everything else. And that's what I wanna focus on in this series as we look through the book of John is just how superior Jesus is to everything. Listen, I want you to know this morning, before we even get into the Scripture, if you came to this church this morning and you've got a problem, that problem is so small compared to our God. There we go. You guys are going to get it figured out. If you come to church this morning and you've experienced something amazing, it is not nearly as amazing as our God is. <laughs> going to be a great day. I love it. Wonderful. So we're, we're going to go through this. We're going to be looking in the book of John. John was not only one of the first 12 disciples of Jesus. John was a close personal friend of Jesus. And, and as a, after Jesus died and resurrected and went to heaven, many of the disciples, or several of the disciples, decided to write a gospel. That's just simply a history of what Jesus had done. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of their gospels are relatively the same. They're very focused on, here's the facts. Let me tell you what happened. Here's the history. You need to know the details. But John, after those three was written, he looks at those and he's led by the Holy Spirit and says, they're missing something. It's not that they didn't do a good job, but John just has in his heart, like, I want to focus not on the things that Jesus did, but I want to focus on how superior Jesus Jesus is to everything in this world. And so he begins to write his gospel with that in mind, teaching us about the superiority of Jesus. If you've got your Bibles open, this is John chapter 1. Let's read these first two verses here. So it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Keep your Bibles open. I promise we're going to be coming back to that. Here's your first take home truth this morning. Jesus is the divine force that holds the world together. Now, John has an issue here. John John has to... John has to introduce his friend, Jesus, to us. And you know how introductions are supposed to work? Like, you're always like, hey, this is, this is my friend, Brian. And then you kind of give like a little background about why Brian is here right now. Like, like, Brian and I go to church together. Or we met when we were younger. I've known them since I don't even know when. You know how we introduce people. Well, John has to do that with Jesus here. And how is he supposed to do that? Have you ever thought, how do you introduce Jesus? John's like, hey, this is my friend, Jesus. Jesus he's God. You know, like, like it doesn't seem like that's big enough to introduce Jesus. So he's coming up with this perfect introduction just to tell us who Jesus is. And it can be a little confusing. Like you really have to study this passage for a lifetime to understand exactly everything that John is trying to get at. But it's not enough for him to be like, okay, so Jesus was born and then this happened, that happened, that happened. He wants to get down to the core of who Jesus is. And so this is how he begins to describe Jesus. He begins to describe Jesus as the word now when we think of word we think of like that small particle of speech right like I'm speaking a lot of words right now some of you if you've been in church you've heard the bible called the word of God so we may go there but neither of those is what this word is talking about in the Greek, this word word here is, is logos. And that can be translated word that's not incorrect, but it uh, can be word, speech, thought, or principle. And really what, what he's focusing on here is more the aspect of the principle of the logos, the principle of the word, w- word, the principle of the word, right? That's what he's trying to get to. Now think about it this way, Even in English language, we still have the word "word used as a principle. Have you ever heard somebody say "I will pay? you back tomorrow. I give you my... Word. They're not talking about a part of speech. When somebody gives their word, they're saying, I'm calling upon the principle of who I am, that when I make a promise, it is good. I'm giving you my word. So as G- John describes Jesus here, he says, he is the word, he is the principle. Now, to understand this, at this time, there was this concept that there's some kind of divine force that holds the world together, which makes sense to us, right? And people didn't know what that divine force was force was so they just called it the logos like that's the supernatural power that holds the world together why does gravity work the way it does the logos well why do the seasons change the same time every year well it's the logos why does the sun rise and set it's the logos why when mommy and daddy love each other very much is there a new life born out of that physical relationship between them why is that the only way life is born well the logos does that but nobody knew what the logos was And it makes sense to us because we still live in a world where we know there's some kind of a divine force that holds the world together. But a lot of people don't know what that divine force is. And we give it different names. Like there's something out there that's moving and creating things that we can't quite grasp. And so we say, "What's well, the laws of nature. There's something out there that holds nature to account where nature always acts the same way. This physical world always acts the same way. In Hinduism, they call that divine force karma. You guys ever heard of karma? It's kind of infiltrated this way into American society. It's this concept that there's a force out there that if you do something bad, something bad will happen back to you. There's a sense even in that religion, there's something out there bigger than us is in control of things Uh, yesterday I I hate to bring this up because we're in church and we want to worship but yesterday was a bad day if you were a Hawks fan and and here's what happened yesterday in the first quarter Arkansas goes up 14 to 0 and I'm so excited I'm so excited and I had like four different text groups going some of you guys were texting me and I put in there after that second touchdown 14 to 0 I sent it to like 30 people it's about to get ugly i was right but not in the way that i meant for it to at the end of it one of my friends texted me back he screenshotted that he said you remember when you typed this and that's when everything started going downhill he said it's your fault you jinxed us now even though don't amen that it's not my fault i could blame somebody else anyway point being even superstition there's some kind of force out there that if you say the wrong thing, things are going to go weird. If a black cat runs in front of your car, you're going to have a bad day. If you walk under a ladder, something's going to fall out of the sky like a, like a Looney Tunes cartoon and hit you in the head. Like we, we believe there is some kind of a force. and It even makes its way into like our, our media that we watch. Have you ever thought about Star Wars? They they literally call it the force, this divine energy that you can, uh, um, that you can't understand, but you can use. Humans are built with this understanding inside of us. There is something bigger than me controlling everything. The Greeks called it the logos, but they didn't know what it was. And John here says, oh, I, I know what it is. I know what that divine force is in the world. That divine force that holds the world together, that is Jesus. He causes the tides to come in there. He gives animals the, uh, the things they need to know how to survive. He made mothers protective. Jesus is the reason when you add water and dirt together, you will always get mud. Every law, everything that happens in this world, whether it's the wind blowing or the rain falling, is because of Jesus. Very good. So he goes on to describe this. He says, I know the logos. I know this divine force that holds the world together. And he goes on to describe him and he says, he is God. And he was with God. Now that's, that's an interesting way to put things. That's a little bit confusing to us. He is God and he's with God. How, do, how does that even work? Well, well, the word that he uses here first before we get too, too deep into this, he uses the word theos, which means a divine being. He says he is a divine being. Like, like humans are here and this logos is here. And it's not just a force. It's not just a law of nature. It's not just karma. The, the logos, the thing that holds this world together is an actual divine being with a persona. And then he goes, on to say here that he is God and he is with God. Now that, that is deep. How do you define is God and is with God? Doesn't make sense. But as I've studied this, I've started to begin to believe that's the purpose. Like, like if I'm going to define the force that holds the world together and I'm telling you it's a being, I don't want to be like, it's George. George is in charge of everything. He's just a guy. He's regular. He's normal. That's the guy in charge of everything. If I'm going to define the force that holds the world together, it should not be simple. This world is too complex for the God who created it to be simple along with it. So so in this, I think that that John is even telling us in talking about what we call the Trinity here, he's talking about how superior Jesus is that you can't even understand him. The the Trinity just means this, is that there is one God who exists in three co-equal persons. They're all the same, yet they're all different, but one God. I can't understand it. I've given up trying to describe it. But that's the point. A God who you can completely understand is probably not a God that you should 100 believe, or 100% believe in. And if you compare uh, God, if you compare Jesus with any other God in the world, nobody has a claim to that kind of greatness. Every other God humans have come up with is relatively easy to understand. If you look at the Canaanite God, Bel, he was the Bel of harvest and rain. He was a very simple individual. He wasn't even as complex as most humans. Very simple. He has the ability to cause it to rain, and when he's happy, he'll give you rain, and if he's not happy, he'll take the rain away from you. So simple. If you look at the, uh, the Greek god Zeus, the same thing. Zeus will punish you if he doesn't like what you're doing, or Zeus will reward you if he does like what you're doing. These, these gods are so simple. It's almost like they were easy to make up, but not Jesus, You can't make up a concept that you can't even understand. You can't make up a God that exists in three persons. You can't make up a God that that exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You cannot make up a God that you cannot even define. And so John here is proving, Like, oh, you think that gods are cool and they're awesome beings? Well, let me tell you about this one. You won't even understand him. It's like this. It's like comparing the gods of this world to the one true God. It's like comparing a lake. I like the lake. We've been up there a few times this summer. Enjoy it. And you can go to the lake and you can see to the other side of the lake. And you can swim around the lake and you can go to the dam and you can understand, okay, there was a river here and they dammed the water up and all the water stopped and it flooded this valley. Now we have a lot of water. There's big fish in here. It's very easy to understand. It doesn't really blow your mind. It's just like, this is pretty. But if you go to the ocean, you'll have a moment of just awe when you first see it. Like, God, that doesn't even make sense. Where does it end? I see no end in sight. If you get on a boat and go out into the middle of the ocean, you can be in the middle of the ocean and see no land anywhere. It's just water forever. And even if you can grasp the breadth of the ocean, you have not even begun to grasp the depth of the ocean. The ocean today is still the biggest secret on the earth. There are places in the ocean, they don't even know where the bottom is. We don't know how deep it is. You can go miles and miles and miles and miles deep. No clue if it ever stops. And so like comparing these false gods of the world to the one true God is like comparing that little small lake that is so easy to understand to this ocean. See, see, the truth is when we look at Jesus, we have to agree, we could not have made him up. He is so superior. He is so much higher than any other God. Nothing in, there we go. Nothing in the world comes close. Nothing in the world comes close to Jesus Christ. And so if we didn't create him, he must have created us. John's going to continue here, if you've still got your Bibles up, and let's reread verses 1 and 2. I want to get into verse 3 here. So verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, not anything made, or not anything made that was... Let me try that again. Without him was not anything made that was made. So our second take-home truth, if you're taking notes today, is Jesus is greater than anything the world has to offer. Now before I go any farther, let me just break this down. I love this about John. He knows he's talking to a bunch of dummies. No offense to y'all. No offense to me. I love what John keeps doing here. He's like, in the beginning was the word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. He was with Him in the beginning. You see how He keeps repeating Himself? And then He goes in here and He says, Hey, everything in the world that was made was made through Him. And oh, by the way, let me repeat that. Nothing that was made was made without Him. He's making sure that we're getting this concept like time and time again. Let me tell you the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. Jesus is superior to everything else. So John begins talking here. He says, In the beginning. It's a very clear point the way that John begins his gospel to the way that God begins the entire Bible. In the beginning is a phrase that you will find in the Bible in Genesis 1.1. You should know it. It simply says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it just takes us to this time that is this this immeasurable place, this immeasurable uh, time before time. We can't even explain that, but there's this time where God existed. And here's what John says. He says, let me tell you how much of a God Jesus is. He was there in the beginning, in that time that we can't even define, in the time we can't even understand. Before everything that you see here, Jesus was. So understand this about him. He is not simple. He is bigger than you. Now, Genesis 1, if you continue on through the story of creation in Genesis 1, it tells us that God in the beginning, and Jesus being God, is the creator. And I love how God creates the world. Like, you can't make this up. God is in this immeasurable time before time. He's in this immeasurable place that we could never understand. And God just begins to speak. And things begin to appear. How amazing is that? Like if we can't be amazed about that, either we don't understand it or we have too small of a view of God. He begins to speak and things appear. That does not work for you. If it does come to my house because, you know, like I've got some bills to pay and we can speak some money into existence. It doesn't work for us that way. But our God can do it. And it's not even a big feat for him. It's another Tuesday for him. And yet, as John is saying this, you know the story about creation in the beginning. It says Jesus was there. And just to make sure that we don't forget it, it says, through him, all things were made. They were made by word. They were created by word. Which tells me this. If Jesus created all things, everything that is created was made through Jesus Christ, That means Jesus Christ is superior to anything in this world. Very good. I got a picture coming up here. Let me let me see if I can just make this make a little bit more sense to us. The point I'm trying to get to. This is Carl Benz. Carl Benz is largely regarded as the man who created the first automobile. He said, "I'm going to take that wagon. I'm going to reconfigure it. I'm going to get rid of the horses. I'm going to put a motor on it, and I'm going to let people drive of their own well, not of their own power, of the power of a steam or or a, uh, internal combustion motor, and it's going to tr- revolutionize transportation." And because of that, everybody that got here this morning, I'm going to go ahead and take a guess, got here in an automobile. It's a daily part of our lives. Human beings have been uh, mobilized like never before in history by the automobile. And so you might look at that and go, well, the automobile is great. But the truth is, the automobile will never give as much to this world as Carl Benz did. Automobile will get you from place to place, but it will never revolutionize the world. See, for that reason, the Creator is greater and superior to the creation. That's so what John's trying to get through our heads here when he's talking about Jesus. He says, understand this about the world. Jesus is superior. If God created the world, and Jesus is God, that means Jesus created the world, Jesus must be superior to the world. It is his creation. And so his point is, when you see anything in the world, it should remind you of the greatness of God. Not, not, just, not just like, oh, God made that. You should be amazed by that. When I think of true beauty, I think of the Grand Tetons that are just a little bit uh, below Yellowstone National Park. These these giant granite steep mountains with the snow caps on it. Like it doesn't even look real. It looks like something you see in a John Wayne movie or a magazine. And you just kind of like, you just sit on a bench and you're just like, whoa, they're so majestic. It'll take your breath away. But but if Jesus created that, these cannot be anywhere as near as majestic as Jesus is. You can go sit at the ocean and you can just be speechless. I love that's what I love to do. I love to go sit at the ocean and not talk. Like after thirty minutes, you're like. Like, there's something about it's it just amazing. You just want to look at it for hours on end. Some of you guys are planning your next vacation while I'm preaching. Don't do that. Like, you just sit in there, and that's what we do. Like, we don't even, we don't even, it's like, I don't even like to swim. Just want to sit there and look at the ocean. Why is that? Because it is so awe-inspiring that it is relaxing, that it reminds you of how small you are. But because Jesus created the ocean, that means that Jesus should be more awe-inspiring to us. There we go. You guys are figuring it out sunsets are breathtaking I love sunrises and sunsets I drive every morning I drive up to Concord I go up Brock Mountain and there's this little overlook and I love this time of year because right at the time right at the time I'm going up the mountain there's this beautiful sunrise and it looks over the valley I can see the church or I can see where the church is from there it fog settled in the valley and there's colors you can't even explain and, like, I'll pull over on the side of the road and I'll just pray. a bit. like, thank you, God, because I can't even explain how gorgeous it is. Like, wow, how amazing is that? But the God who created that is more amazing than anything that I could see. See, we, 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 we have this ability to look at the earth and, and to get kind of caught up with the earth. But John is saying, hey, Jesus is greater than this because he is the creator of it. He is superior to what he created. So if he's superior to what he created he must be superior to what his creation creates did you know that human beings in our search to explain how this earth got here and what this logos this the supernatural force is human beings have created over 330 million different deities We've come up with all of these false gods to try to explain where this world came from. 330 million false beings. And then John's here, and he just blows that out of the water, and he gives us this picture of nothing with Jesus in the middle of it. I don't know how he was there. He didn't have anywhere to stand, but just creating everything. And you compare that to other origin stories of the world. Like, like where did the world come from? Where where did the world come from? And everybody's trying to figure this out. And so every culture has come up with an explanation. And Babylon, they had this sense that there was this giant ocean. And this God came out of this ocean and gave birth to other gods. And one of those gods killed the first god, I don't even know, killed the first god, cut the first God's body in half, and made the ocean and made the land with it. It's kind of dumb, isn't it? But they believed it. Uh, The Greeks believed that there was this giant abyss and the earth just came out of it and the earth was God. And this earth just gave birth to other gods that became the planets. What a powerful God they must have thought that was. But that has nothing on a God who speaks the world into existence. The Babylonian gods have nothing on a God who brings something out of nothingness. I love this one. This is breaking with tradition a little bit the hopi indians the hopi indians believe that there are four worlds and they believe that they crawled through a portal from the third world to this the fourth world and for that reason they have believed all of their life we're special we came from the third world and we're here in the fourth world but that doesn't make them near as special as what my creation story says that i was a lump of dirt until jesus put his hands on me and breathed into me and created life. See, not even our best storytelling compares with Jesus, who creates something out of nothing, who creates it with only a word, and creates life by giving us part of Him. And John's going to uh, address that to where does life come from? If you still got your Bibles open, last two verses, verses four and five. In Him, talking about Jesus, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I'm just saying, when I get to heaven and they introduce me, I walk through the pearly gates, I think there's going to be an announcer like a royal court. John's going to do my introduction. (laughs) This guy knows how to introduce somebody. And so he introduces Jesus. He introduces him as two things, light and life. So your last take-home truth this morning is Jesus is the answer to darkness and death. I love John answers one of the world's greatest questions. The greatest question in the world is, what is life? How how do we keep life? Where where does life come from? What is the meaning of life? Humans spend all of their life going, why am I alive? John answers it in just a sentence. He says, in Jesus, in Jesus is life. See, in the beginning when God created us, he made us from nothing, or he made dirt from nothing. He made us from dirt. And it says in the Bible that God breathes life into us. I don't know what that looked like. I'm not going to pretend to be God. But here's the picture that I have. Let me share it with you. God takes his hands and he just slowly starts forming this dirt. And he makes fingers. And he makes ears. Makes a nose. He says, I think they should talk. So he opens the mouth and puts a tongue in there. He gives us awesome hair. Some of us off his awesome hair. Right? He, he puts all of these things together, and there's just this body laying there, still emotionless. And God, the Creator of the universe, leans down, and he gets this close to her face. And he just goes, <sighs> and the eyes of that body open, and he begins to stand up, and he begins to commune with God. I don't know if that's exactly how it went down, but that's what I see. That, that, that in God, something about him, that he breathed something of himself into us, that is what life is. And what John says here is that life that came through the nostrils of God, that life is found only, only in Jesus Christ oh you're a little slow that time because Jesus is superior the answer is simple Jesus is superior to everything else and he said that this life that Jesus Christ was the light of men and that light shines in the darkness See, the truth is is the world that we live in the world that we live in is a dark dark dirty world I love this movie reference um, the best trilogy I think that has ever been made is a, a Batman trilogy like the Dark Knight Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins really really good and in the last movie there's a, there's a villain there named Bane and Bane was going to get ready for his big fight with Batman and everybody knows Batman does not fight in the lights he always, he always turns off the lights and that's how he wins his fights because he's Batman, he wears black and he hides in the darkness and, and he turns off the lights and Bane's origin story is that he was born in a prison pit somewhere in the Middle East A place where the sun never reached, where they just threw people into the pit and gave them food once a day, and that was how they kept them in prison. And so Bane says to Batman, he goes, Oh, you think darkness is your friend. Oh, but you've only adopted darkness. I was born to it. And then he proceeds to thrash Batman half to death. I identify with Bane in that, because this world is like a deep, dark pit where the sun never rises. And we're born into darkness. We didn't just adopt it. We're born here. This, this is our home. And so we live in this world where we've spent our entire lives separated from God. Where sin rules. We, li- we live in a world of wars. We live in a world of COVID and cancer. We live in a world of hate and harm and murder and fear and death. And there is no escape for us from this death and dark world that we live in. And we've tried that's the second greatest question what is life and how do i keep it longer doctors can't keep you alive forever there there is no cure for death although some people think there might be it's been largely rumored i don't know if this is true They, they don't they don't say it's true it's been largely rumored that walt disney had his body or at least part of his body cryogenically frozen and what that means is is that he took his body And he had it put in a place where it is kept so cold that it never deteriorates, hoping for the day that we figure out how to undo death so that he'll come back to life. I don't know if Walt Disney actually did that, but there are at least 15 people whose bodies are laying cryogenically frozen, waiting for the day that we figure out how to undo death. And I've got news for them. They're going to wait for a long, long time. Jeff Bezos, who's the founder of Amazon, he left Amazon a few years ago, retired from Amazon, and he has been pouring millions of dollars into a company called Altos Biosphere. And basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to scientifically find a way to reverse aging and cure death. And Jeff Bezos is pouring millions of dollars into it. Please, please find a way that I don't have to die. But I got news for Jeff. It doesn't matter how many millions of dollars he pours into that company, One day he's going to take his last breath and leave this world. See, there there is no escape for us from death, except, John says, are you tired of the darkness? I've got a cure. Are you tired of the death? I've got a cure for that. His name is Jesus. He is God. He was God or he is God. He was with God. He was there in the beginning. And Jesus comes into this world as a ray of light in the darkness. And John says, but the world couldn't comprehend him several years ago uh, I went to get my driver's license you know getting your driver's license is kind of an intimidating first off it's annoying secondly it's intimidating to go in there and they're never happy I don't know what I did to those people but it's almost like they see Brian and they're like ah and, and I went in there and I'm doing all the stuff I'm giving her all my paperwork and she says okay you know there's that part where um, there's that part where you have to look down in the thing and they've got like E and A and C and all those things and so you go down there and she's looking she's okay read line whatever it was and so I read and I was pretty confident I was like man I knocked that out of the part and she gets, she looks at me and she she says in order to pass this test you have to get three of the 12 of those right you got three and you better go to the eye doctor before you come back in four years i'm like yes ma'am i'm sorry i didn't mean to get three only three of them right and so i went to the eye doctor and i was a little scared because i've always had a good eyesight i went to the eye doctor i said i probably need glasses check it out and those of you that have been to the eye doctor optometrist whatever they are you know what they do to you they torture you they're doctors who get paid to torture you. They shoot, you know, air in your eye. They're always poking and prodding on it. But there's this one part that I hate. They put you in this little dimly lit room, and they say, "Wait for the doctor." And he comes in, and he gets his stuff out, and he holds your eye up when he begins to look in it. And he takes this light laser thing of death and shines it straight into the back of your head. You guys know what I'm talking about? And it hurts and all you like, they put a back on the thing so you can't get away because you're like, ah, make it stop. It hurts, it hurts so much, it's too bright. And what John's saying here is when Jesus came into this dark world, everybody was so used to the darkness. They couldn't understand him. He was too bright. And because they scared him or because he scared them so much, they took him and they nailed him to a cross and they killed him. And they said, we won't have to deal with that kind of light anymore. But here's the cure to death. Three days later, Jesus rolls away the stone and he comes walking out. Says, death can't defeat me. And if we're going to live without fear of death, if we're going to live without ever, if we're going to learn how to conquer death, the only way we'll ever do that is through Jesus who has promised us that we get the same thing that he got, that we will die, but he will bring us back. See, John says the answer to this is simple. Nothing created can be an answer or superior to Jesus in any way. He is the life and the light in a dark, dying world. So we're faced with a question when we read John's introduction of Jesus. What are we going to do with this Jesus? What are we going to do with him? He's so amazing. He's so superior. We just walk out of here and say, that was a good sermon, Brian. I appreciate that, by the way, when you all do that. Go on about our life we should live differently every day because we get to worship a God who is so far above that we can't even understand him and yet what do we do we spend our lives chasing false gods we make for ourselves idols of money or politics or sports we try to figure out everything in the world to chase the darkness away but the truth is the only thing that will chase the darkness away is Jesus Christ I'm getting to like this you guys are doing good See, John wrote this and he said, he, he defined, why am I writing this? He said, I wrote this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is everything, that he is superior to everything in the world. So what do we do with this? I want to give you a challenge. In Joshua chapter 24, jo- did y'all study that this morning? Not there, okay. I was saying, I thought that might line up. Joshua chapter 24, Joshua has been tasked with leading God's people. And they've been through some amazing things over the past 50 to 60 years. God has literally brought plagues upon the Egyptians to free them from the Egyptians. They've seen the Passover where the angel of death comes into Egypt and kills the firstborn of everything except for those who painted the doors of their houses with the blood of a lamb. They, they've walked up to the Red Sea and they thought they were trapped and all of a sudden the Red Sea just opens up and they walk across on dry land. They've been in the desert where food falls from heaven every night they have been in the desert where when they were without water, rocks would just give them water. They walked into the promised land. The Jordan stopped running for them to walk in. They walked around a city seven times and yelled a few silly phrases, and the walls of this city just fell down. There's There's been battles that they should not have won, but they could not be defeated. And yet, these Israelites had begun to worship false gods. They'd begin to say in their hearts, the creation is better than the creator. And so Joshua gives them this big speech. I love this, I love this verse that he says. He says, this is the God who did all of these things for you. And you guys are wasting your time serving idols. And so he says, you got a choice to make, and you're going to make it today. Choose this day who you will worship. But as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Hey, for us as a church... For us as a church what better could we say than to walk into the world and say y'all worship whoever you want to as for me and mine my family my people my church we worship the lord so this morning if our musicians want to make their way up here this morning i think that god's calling us to make a distinction who are we going to be and who are we going to worship Are we going to be church people who come to church and worship false gods through the week, who chase the idols, who play the same silly games the rest of the world do? Are we going to be people who are so sold out because we believe internally that our God is greater, that he is superior to anything? And maybe this morning I can tell you I'm convicted of that. I've got to start living like that's true in my life. And maybe you're with me. And if you are, I just want to invite you to come up here and pray about that. Give that to God. But you may be here today and you may be thinking, I spent my whole life chasing something. I spent my whole life trying to figure out what made me special. I spent my whole life trying to figure out how to survive this world, to make the darkness go away. And I can tell you, until you meet Jesus and you put your faith in Him, you will never be happy or satisfied. But you will be the second that you trust Him. Maybe for somebody here, today is the day that you come to know Him. You understand Him as superior and you make the decision, as for me... I worship the Lord. I stand and worship together.